coming up on Garden Talk. But if you start throwing things into the mix and just kind of chucking pollen around and kind of getting away from the grand vision of what you actually enjoy and want to keep carrying on, that's when you're going to run into problems. The purple thing is something that you wanted, then yes, that's something that I would try to take into consideration when I was looking for a male. But what a lot of people don't know is that pollen can be extremely volatile and it, it can become infertile very quickly. You're going to get a mix of the, your two favorites. You've now collided them together and you're going to get potentially the best of both worlds. I'm looking for things like fast flowering time, resistance to white powdered mildew, how well they can handle the cold, also how well they can handle the heat because it's still going to get hot here too. If you can't eat the vegetable or whatever it is at the end because it's all filled with bugs or the plant was diseased and didn't finish it, then it basically isn't any good anyway. What's up everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This episode number 53. In this episode, I interview Canadian Leaf Genetics. He's been gardening for 12 years, and he's been breeding for 5 years. In this episode, he talks about getting started with breeding. He also talks about stabilizing a cultivar. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Big shout out to AC Infinity for sponsoring this podcast. AC Infinity is well known to produce high quality products and provide excellent customer service. They have the thickest grow tent on the market today, inline fans with a controller that can automatically turn on and off according to specific set points. They have seedling mats, trimmers, drying racks, and several other products that you can use in your garden. I will leave a link to AC Infinity down in the description section below, and you can use discount code MrGrowIt during checkout for a discount on their products. A big supporter of this podcast is Dutch Pro. They sponsor this podcast and I use their nutrients. I have been using their base nutrients formulated specifically for RO and soft water. I also have been using some of their additives like CalMag, Silica, and their root stimulator called TakeRoot. They have a few other additives on top of those and pH regulators. Coupon code MrGrowIt10DP will get you a discount on their products. And I'll leave a link to their Amazon store down in the description section below. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Graham, but some of you may know him as Canadian Leaf Genetics. How are you doing today? Good, man. Good. Things are going well over here. Um, obviously, by the name, I'm up in Canada, so I was doing a little bit of shoveling earlier on. Uh, but other than that, it's been a chill day. Just uh, yeah, shoveling so I could get my groceries. And now I'm here hanging out with Chris, which is always awesome. So Nice. Uh, good day. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you on board today. Uh, Thanks, we are going to talk about plant breeding. So kind of getting started plant breeding. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are interested and haven't taken that step yet in order to do it, or they've just started doing it and they kind of need some more information on which way to go because there are, I feel like there are several different ways you can go when it comes to breeding. There are several different techniques and, and ways you can stabilize strains and, and so on and so forth. So also stabilizing a cultivar is kind of what we'll get into today as well as, as we yeah. go along here. So, but first, how about an introduction? Want to tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into gardening and breeding? All right. So, uh, I got into, uh, gardening and breeding probably from 
you know, my mother at a very early age, she was uh, licensed by Health Canada. She provided medicine for people who, who uh, couldn't grow it themselves. So that's how I initially got into growing um, and, and learning about all kinds of plants was just because my mother had like a very, uh, you know, sort of self-driven kind of take on life where she wanted to be able to supply her own, um, own whether it be food or uh, food or medicine or drink or whatever it was. So um, that was how I, I, I originally got into gardening and then that sort of picked up into um, wanting to be able to share some of the things that she did back in the early days with other people, which is what led into Canadian Leap Genetics. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am today. It mostly goes a lot to my parents. My dad was involved a little bit too, but mostly to my mom. Um, but yeah, she really brought that the, the green thumb out of me and uh, brought me to this sort of breeding point where I am today where I wanted to bring that back and share it with people so that they could have success growing uh, different cultivars in Canada because as the as you know it's kind of hard up here if you're trying to grow and complete a season um, you know regardless of whatever plant it is you're growing you might run into the same issues. So you mentioned before we started recording that you have been breeding for about five years now. How many different cultivars have you created so far? Um, so I think on the website I've got probably six specific different cultivars on there that I would say are are completely stabilized and that if if you get them it's going to grow exactly what it's supposed to grow in regards to what i had intended it for it to do yeah i think there's six on there i'd have to double check but pretty sure if i recall um and i'm working on another one right now so it'll be about seven um again it takes a long time to actually get them to the point to point where something is stabilized so I was lucky having things um, that were that were you know in initially were sort of just being pollen chucked around from my mother but that would be going back like into the early years and then I've brought it kind of back in the last five years and sort of fine-tuned the each one of those into becoming those six that are on the website okay uh, gotcha so when somebody decides to start breeding right what are the first steps? I mean, are they to identify two different cultivars that they want to cross or, or, or what are the first steps here? Absolutely. So the first things that you're going to want to do is you're going to find like your two, well, it, your two favorite plants, whether each, each cultivar might be different too. Like maybe you get your favorite is in the female side or your favorites in the male side but try to have them both be your favorite and you're going to have to grow regular seeds in order for this to happen. You're not going to be able to grow, um, unless you, you want to use a female that's been grown from a feminized seed. Um, so then you'd be able to use, utilize your favorite female or something like that. Um, as long as you know that that's, that's a pretty stable strain, you could probably use that as a good base starting point as long as it's one of your favorites. Um, and then you're going to need regular seeds in order to get your male. So that's when you're going to make sure that that's also one of your favorite things too, because if you start combining something that's not your favorite into there or doing something that's not going to work in your climate, whether it be um, something that takes has a longer growing period or isn't as resistant to cold or things like that, um, and you add that into the mix on top of even that nice maybe feminized female seed that is your favorite, um, you're you're going to be sad. So 
you're, you're always going to want to make sure that everything you choose at the beginning is your favorite and then everything whatever whatever works for you and it, it works make sure that you're choosing that and each time jeez man um and and you're going to have an okay start you know but if you start throwing things into the mix and just kind of chucking pollen around and 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 uh not really and kind of getting away from the grand vision of what you actually enjoy and want to want to keep carrying on um that's when you're going to run into problems so if you're just getting started choose things that are your favorite and and make sure you continue to choose those each time you breed but you're going to start with two that are your favorite and and make sure that counts for the male too don't just chuck a pollen in there just to create seeds okay uh, I couldn't help but laugh. Your your cat jumped up on your lap. I know, I, I've got a cat on my lap too, so it's like yeah. I got these cats that are lap cats. Join the party. <laughs> Anyways, so the question I had actually for that is: Is it better to start with stable genetics to begin with, right? So, like, say somebody finds their prize pheno, like female, but it's an F two. Where F2s, you know, we actually did a, another episode where we talk about what F1s are, F2s. They're basically just different generations. Generally speaking, the further you go down, the more stable you kind of are, except for F2. It kind of opens up the, the gene pool a little bit and see more characteristics. So F2 is one of the bigger ones as far as, like, the characteristics you can potentially yep. get, right? So if you start with an F2, is that going to be less, you know, not as ideal compared to if you're starting with, like, an F4 or an F5, something that's more stable? Well, I guess it would depend on what trait it was that you were looking for and how important it was for you to have that specific trait carried on over. Because regardless of what you breed it with, unless you're breeding like filial, which is like breeding within the actual like lines of like the family genetics, like breeding kind of like brother and sister together. Um, as soon as you get outside of that, you're kind of starting all over again. So in some regard, like, I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. Yeah. Get get a little bit too confusing, but, um, you know, like if you were to breed outside of the family lines again, yeah, you're just going to kind of start back over and you've now created another F1 again, but it would, assuming that the male is outside, but that, um, it's always important to start with stable genetics, uh, regardless. So yes, for the first one, you always want to start, make sure you're using stable genetics and not, again, not kind of just chucking pollen around and, and making things work. Like make sure both plants are, are good and, and, and suit what you want to see further on down the line while you do your filial breeding to kind of, uh, um, really pull out those traits and, and solidify them. Okay, so what is meant by stable genetics? Like in terms of a particular stable genetics, like when it only, it does exactly what you want it to. So it's, it's if I wanted the plant to be purple and grow uh, one foot tall each time and have a specific sort of flowering thing um, and, and a specific terpene profile and uh, things like that, that would be a stable genetic, assuming that it did that 100% or very close to 100% of the time. Um, you know, I would say that it's pretty stable if it's getting like 90% of the time. It's cool if you get a, a funny one in there that still represents the plant in the same way, like the genetics are supposed to, but maybe slightly different. Um, but yeah, stable genetics should be something that's 100% 
or very close to 100% and replicates the same thing, almost like a clone. Okay. So they have their two cultivars, right? They got their two cultivars that they want to cross. Okay. Let's say for the, for this example, you have the male and the female of two different, different cultivars, right? Chris? Yep. Two different cultivars you want to cross. Now, oftentimes they're going to first pheno hunt, right? So maybe they're planting a batch of seeds, you know, 10 pack, 20 pack, whatever the amount of seeds they're going to plant. Then they're hunting through looking for those traits from that cultivar that they want to then pass on to the kind of this new hybrid, right? This Because you have two different cultivars that you're crossing. The end result would be a hybrid. What do you look for in female plants? We'll start with that. Kind of what are the characteristics that you're looking for in order to kind of see if that's something, a keeper that you want to breed with? I know it's subjective. It goes by breeder to breeder. So for you, what would you say you kind of look for in female plants? Um, Right. So for me specifically, again, this is something that would come back to uh, whether or not that's some that particular cultivar is stable or not right too when you're looking in it because you'd be able to see like oh all my all of it's looking the same this obviously i'm working with something that's good and if i put this with with another stable something else is going to they're going to combine and i'm going to have to work with that in the future and and hopefully both of them are good so when it's me looking for it in particular and i'm working with genetics that need to be resistant to frost they've usually got I need them to finish probably at least by October 1st. So you're looking at a shorter growing period than you than most people would have. Um, so I'm looking for things like fast flowering time. Um, I'm looking for things like resistance to white powdered mildew, um, how they how well they can handle the cold, also how well they can handle the heat because it's still going to get hot here too. So. Um, those are some things I can replicate, but also a lot of that comes with testing them outside as well. Um, so both things have to happen, and that's also a way that you're going to find whether or not your genetics are stable and working in environments if you get a similar result growing inside and outside. Um, but those are some of the things that I look for is definitely uh, short flowering time, resistance to cold, white powdered mildew, resistance to insects. Um, and then after that, I look at, um, potency and things like, uh, terpene profile and everything else, because if you can't eat the vegetable or whatever it is at the end, because it's, it's all filled with bugs or the plant was diseased and didn't finish it, then it's, it's, it basically isn't any good anyway. So, um, yeah, all of those things come second to me, but they still have to be top of the line. So when you're growing out the females, are you cloning them prior to flipping to flower and then grow, completing the female grow, you have your clones on the side and then you're, you're picking one and then you're, you know, keeping that clone that you had, or are you growing them out, then monster cropping to bring it back into the veg stage at the end of flower? So I actually do neither of those things. I actually, when I'm doing my breeding, I breed filial and I breed... I'll put two of them together, two of my favorites, and then I'll work through those lines to um, to create the stable genetics. I don't usually ever do any cloning or monster cropping or things like that, not because I'm against it for any reason, but I like to start from each seed because I want to make sure that each seed is when it, going to be the same whenever somebody else grows it. So I need to test the stability that way. 
but in terms of breeding as well, um, yeah, I always take, I always start from a seed and grow it and make sure it, it fits all the categories that I want it to. And then I'll also grow my male and I'll have this growing at the same time so that I can determine um, flowering times and things like that between both of them, both male and female, so that I can see if that they're doing the same things that I want so that whenever I breed those together, it's going to result in something similar down the line, as well as combining traits together that might be different, but also work together. So as the females are growing, you're actually, you have a male growing alongside and you're pollinating them Correct. during that grow. Okay. Correct. And then you're growing them all out, you're smoking them, and then you're picking your, your keeper from there. And then those, you'll have seeds already available for your keeper, right? Correct. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And generally like when I'm like, when you're starting with a stable genetics, usually you've already grown a few to, to know that you that's something you enjoy right like that's the main thing you want to do before you even before anybody ever decides like oh I'm gonna breed this one and I'm gonna breed this one if you haven't even grown it before you, you, you shouldn't even do it at all because you need to do that first so grow a bunch first and then find out that you know that okay in this in this cultivar in this particular one I it has things that I like so you can go ahead and grow that because when if this is going to lead into probably something we're going to talk about later, I'm sure in this video, Chris, which is when is a good time to pollinate your female plant and when is a good time to harvest your seeds afterwards and how to get the best result in that. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's part of the reason why I do it that way too, so that they're at a particular stage of growth, both of them, so that I can visually see how the male's growing and, and how the female's growing. Um, and usually I know how this plant works and, and in this particular cultivar, which you all should know if you're going to get into this because you're going to want to try to grow it to make sure that it's what you want to do before you start, because you're not going to be able to smoke whenever you breed it is, the, is when it, what we're going to get into talking about later on pretty much. So you're going to waste a whole time, a whole plant at a, and two plants, in fact, depending on how you do it, because you're not going to be able to smoke the pollinated female because there's going to be way too much seed depending on how you do it. Gotcha. Okay, so flipping over to the male plants side of things, right? So like you mentioned that you're, you're, you're combining the two. I'm assuming you're planting them all at once, right? You're planting all these seeds. You're going to you're yep. gonna have your males and you're going to have your females. Correct. What do you look for in male plants for selection? So... In male plants is much the same, but it's harder to, this is again where you're, you're kind of, you're not guessing, but you're going to have a little bit of a less chance to determine, for example, like terpene profile or um, potency, obviously, or, um, you know, uh, flowering time, you can tell, like those are, those are, that's the kind of difference I mean, because you can, you can watch the plant grow, obviously, but you're not going to be able to smoke it. And you're not really, it's not going to have the same smell that you're going to get from a female that's produced the resin. And, and uh, anyways, you get, you guys get where I'm going with this. So um, what I look for when I'm doing it is still the same way the flowering structure is, how close those node spacing is together. Like if this is your, this is your plant, right? And each knuckle is 
where a new flower is going to begin, like how small is that space? Am I going to get tight branching flowers or am I going to get flowers that are spaced far apart? Am I going to get a different kind of growth structure? Um, is it going to be a bush? Is it going to be extra, extra tall or things like that? And generally male plants are usually more tall than female because they're usually towering over the plant and they want to spread their pollen down onto the plant. So generally males are almost always bigger, but that's not always, sometimes not always the case as well. Um, so you got to take that, those sort of things into consideration, but those are things I look for growth structure, flower spacing, um, you know, you can rub the stalk and get a smell that way. Um, and then the last thing would be just like actual flowering time. Like how quick does it take it to start producing pollen and for those pollen sacs to actually open up? Um, because a lot of people don't know that like you could have a male well into flower and have all kinds of pollen sacs, but it's not actually, it's hard to explain unless you've done it before. But I'm sure that maybe maybe you've seen it, Chris. Maybe other people have seen it out there too. But it takes a long time for those pollen sacs to actually open, for for the, that pollen to be spread around. So you could have a male, you know, clearly it's a male for two three weeks before you're into trouble. Um, yeah. So those are the things I look for: growth structure, flowering time, and and flower node spacing when it starts to produce those flower sacs, because that's going to tell you how that's going to translate into um, your female's flower spacing, as well as color, obviously, if it's got purple leaves or it's got a purple stalk or things like that. Okay. So I'm actually working on a cross. I've been using the Briscoe Gmail yeah. with a Pakistan Valley female. And, you know, one of the things that I'm growing out, the, the F2 is I grew an F2 recently and it's a little bit more stretchier than I wanted it to be, a little bit more. Right. The bud stacking wasn't as close together uh, that I wanted it to be, the, you know, internodal spacing right. and things like that. So, yeah, that'd be the other term for yeah. what you're talking about there, like flower spacing, whatever bud stacking. So I'm, I'm, so what I should probably look for and give me guidance otherwise, if you think otherwise, mm -hmm. is you know, for males, if I'm looking for maybe the the shorter males, faster flowering. If I'm looking for you know, just kind of speed up the flowering, so I can look for that stem rub. I've done stem rubs before and kind of making sure that I get what I want there. Lemony type smell is kind of what I've chosen so far on it. So I want to make sure that's repeatable. Yeah, like each stem is going to have a different smell, but again, you're not going to get a huge variance, but it's going to be kind of specific to the cultivar you're working with. So if you kind of know, you're going to have an idea, right? And should, for males, for males, should I also be looking at like frost production on it or like coloring at all? Like some, I've had some males that have, you know, the, the pollen sacs have actually turned a little bit purple, like purple in it. Are those things that could potentially get passed on? I know we're going to get into dominant versus recessive here in a, a minute or so. You know, all those things can be passed on. Absolutely. All those things could get passed on. And uh, yeah, that's something that I think is very cool is that the dominant and recessive trade and the talks about that. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people that have far more knowledge on it than I do. Um, but it's something that I think is very cool and is different, probably depending on which which plants you're looking at as as a whole, as, as just plants in an entire species. But yeah, is that is that purple that you experienced in the flower going to get passed on to to the female as a dominant trait? Is it going to become that all the time if you picked that male for whatever reason? Or is that only going to show up sometimes? Is it going to be a recessive trait that's sort of locked into the gene pool but hidden? 
so you'll have to sort of look for it throughout it. Um, I don't know. So again, I would assume that if that if the purple thing is something that you wanted, then yes, that's something that I would try to take into consideration when I was looking for a male. Um, recently, I've been trying to do this thing where I pulled on like purple colors, like pur it has a purple stock, which is kind of unusual. And I wanted to pull that over and I was having trouble and it seems that it only shows up certain times. So you have to be careful with that. And I'm pretty sure having a purple stock is a recessive trait as where a purple leaf, it seems as, as soon as you breed a plant that's got purple leaves with another plant that's green, the offspring all seem to have purple colorings of some sort, um, but not a purple stock. So that's something I was trying to look into. And I'm not sure exactly how that would in your situation work with the purple uh, purple male, you'd have to try ultimately. And if it was something that you wanted to avoid, then I would not try basically is what it comes down to because you don't want to add that into the gene pool regardless of whether or not it's dominant or recessive because it means it could start showing up in the future. Okay, so after you've selected your male and female, let's talk about the pollination process. Now, I know you're outdoors you mentioned uh, you referenced outdoors and how yep. you're kind of putting them together in the same area do you have any tips for the pollination process outdoors and then indoors i know there's people who like collect pollen and then they'll pollinate at a later date is there a certain day in flowering where you feel it's kind of best to pollinate in order to maximize the yield of seeds that are created okay so this is one of those things where i'm testing the cultivars outside to make sure that they're doing what i want them to do and and that's part of the way that I test to make sure that they're kind of the stable genetics or whatever. Um, but most of my breeding happens inside so that I can make sure that exactly what I want to get bred is being bred. And I don't have to worry about, again, having pollen chucked around or anything weird like that happening. Um, I know exactly which male is, is mating with which female. Because I know exactly which one is pollinating the other one, I know that I don't have to really generally worry about um, cross-pollination or things like that because I'm doing it in an enclosed environment in a specific area. Um, and if you've worked with pollen before, you know that it, it's quite easy to breed them together. Each calyx, each each little hair on, on the plant can receive pollen from the male and that will become your seed. Um, and it's easy for that transfer to happen. But what a lot of people don't know is that pollen can be extremely volatile and it, it can become infertile very quickly. Um, so generally what I like to do is I just like to, again, this helps if you're growing them side by side and it helps if you're got them in an enclosed area and you only have the pair in there because generally I'll grow them out and I'll choose specifically which ones show the traits the best that I want. They might all show the traits, but I want the ones specifically that show it the best. And that's what I'll put in my enclosed area. When I go to pollinate, I watch the males, see how long it takes for it to start producing the pollen. At this point in time, it's really easy to just to like, you could either take the male and shake it over top of the female or shake the female into it. What's gonna end up happening is it's going to become so pollinated anyways that it, you're not gonna be able to smoke it. But the idea is, because you've grown this cultivar so many times, or this, or you should have at this point, you'll know that the female that you've chosen is going to be okay, and the male that you've chosen is also going to be okay because you have stable genetics. So, when you go to introduce your pollen, however you choose to do that, um, I like to do it basically. Again, as I said, each 
each calyx with this with the with the hair can receive pollen and become a seed. So that's what you want to look for in your female as a good point in time to reference when to pollinate because if your female hasn't produced enough calyxes and have enough hairs, it's not going to produce enough seed because you probably don't want your male hanging around taking up the space afterwards while your female's growing. Um, yeah, so it's just I try to just pollinate there and I always clip the top bud off and I keep it in a mason jar which goes directly into the freezer labeled. Um, again, this is not the most ideal way to store uh, male pollen, but it's going to get you about six months of storage. Uh, maybe a little bit longer if you put in flour, which like flour from, from the pantry flour, because I've done that before, and it'll kind of absorb any moisture because that's what's going to make the pollen infertile or like not allow it to uh, be viable to, to pollinate your females. So it's not really like a specific day in flower where you're kind of aiming for. It's probably cultivar specific uh, to where, like you mentioned, the, there's enough pistils kind of showing to pollinate and have a, a good enough yield of, of seeds. Yeah. Each one is going to be different. And again, that's going to kind of play into flowering time of your particular cultivar. Um, but yeah, if you have your male that's ready to go and he's producing pollen and he's ready to pollinate, it depends on how that that's a good sign that, that one's flowering quite fast compared to your female. If it, if it's not covered in, doesn't have enough hairs to receive the pollen in order to create enough. It depends on if you want 10 or a hundred seeds, right? Or a thousand seeds. But if you go too long, what can end up happening is that you won't have enough time to actually allow these seeds to mature. Um, so, and then that, that also is a lost cause because if they don't end up maturing, then you've wasted all of this time and then you don't have any seeds that are viable at the end to actually plant as well. So that's where there becomes a fine balance of, is it too early or is it too late? It's, so it's always better to do it earlier in the cycle so that you can at least have a long time for those to become mature and viable as opposed to earlier. But if you go obviously too early, it's you're not gonna get many seeds. Um, and then you don't have a lot to play with in the gene pool if you're working on the early stages, you're going to want to have a lot of seeds and you don't want to have go in with just 10 seeds into a next generation isn't going to give you a lot of, uh, come on, man, don't get that, isn't going to give you a lot of uh, pheno hunting to do for sure. So you're not going to have a lot of options to choose from going into the next ones, which is not something you want to set yourself up with. Okay. So you've pollinated your female. How long uh, should, like, when should you harvest the plant in order to maximize the amount of yield you get of seeds right i mean you know i know you don't typically smoke the plants that you uh, pollinated and stuff like that so do you just let the plant go like you know 9 10 11 weeks like further than you typically would so you can kind of make sure yeah. that the seeds are are developed enough absolutely so like we just talked about um i kind of like to hit that sweet spot where i know i'm going to get quite a large amount of seeds depending on what stage of the process I'm in, whether it's creating a lot to be able to bring this cultivar to the public, or am I just trying to create uh, like a small amount, like 500 so that I can work through those 500 and pull out the traits that I want to create the next generation as I'm working to create it more stable. Um, so if I'm trying to bring in more seeds, I'll just wait a little bit longer 
so that it has more hairs and the flowers has just become a little bit more developed. But the main key is, is that you never want to pollinate without having at least two months left because it takes about eight weeks roughly for a seed to mature, at least through all the tests that I've done. At least if you leave yourself that much time of flower or for at least the plant, to, at least two months of plants, plant growing, whatever it is, two months of plant growing, you're going to be okay. Um, so yeah, if your plant has a 14 week flowering cycle or however long the flowering cycle is, that'll buy you a little bit of time to push that calyx production a little bit further so that when you pollinate, you'll get more seeds. Um, but there's not really any exact time other than the possibility that you could go too late. And then afterwards, like, like you said earlier, I just leave it until it's basically at the very end where it, very end of its life can't push anymore. You can almost see the seeds want to fall out of the plant pretty much. You could knock them off if you wanted to. Uh, that's ideal because you're in my situation, the plant's going to have over a couple thousand seeds on it. I'm not going to pick through it to try to, to smoke it. I find the easiest way is actually throw the whole plant in a Ziploc bag, dry it a lot, roll the whole thing up. Uh, and then you'll be able to, it'll basically like separate the seeds and the plant matter. And then I've done tests before where you don't want to know, you don't want to know the seeds far outweigh the plant matter. And then you're like, Oh, that was a lot of work for all this. And well, I guess now you get to enjoy the fruits of it afterwards, depending on what you choose to do. Right. But that's where it comes into play where, where you don't want to do that. If you, you, number one, aren't for sure that you want those seeds in the future. And number two, you aren't for sure that you'd enjoy smoking it. And number three, you better have some extra stash hanging around because if you don't have any other growth space and that's specifically what you're doing, that, harvest is going to kind of be a little bit of a sad time gotcha yeah that makes sense so after you pollinate you've harvested the seeds the offspring right f1 right that's an f1 yep. generation so we put your two favorite cultivars together like in a beginning example and we've created the f1 and so if you want to further stabilize that you could actually plant those and do the same process right you would just yes. repeat the process you'd pick a female pick a male that's showing the, your desired traits you would pollinate, and then the offspring of that would be an F2, right? Yes. And then correct. so how far – and that actually, like I mentioned in the beginning, that opens up the gene pool, right? So you get a greater yes. variety in F2s. Yeah, because you're going to get a mix of the two things that you just – your two favorites. You've now collided them together, and you're going to get potentially the best of both worlds in this next generation. That's what's going to happen here. Um and then it's and then it's up to in that particular one you find your favorites again and you keep repeating and not so much your this is when it's really time to pick exactly what you want uh, in terms of in terms of growth down the road and what you want to determine this plant's to outcome to be um, every time you know like you got to choose this is what I want it to be every time and you're going to see as you breed through F2 and F3 and F4, um, those choices that you made are going to start becoming more just dominant in the, in the, in the pool of pheno hunting. Each time you do it, you're going to see, oh my gosh, it's, it's way more purple than it was before. last time I, I picked two purple plants and now it's way more purple. 
than before, um, do you want to continue on the purple is, is the question that you need to ask yourself as the breeder at this point in time, or do you need to take a step back and, and take away the purple? Um, those are all questions that, that kind of get into, um, in, into what, what kind of choices you like, how, how you want the plant to basically, basically be when it's stable and what you want the end result to be. Okay. So going down generations, F3, F4, F5 become more and more stable. Yeah. At what point is the cultivar considered stable? Well, it depends on, on if you've thrown, thrown it a genetic curveball somewhere down the line, or if each time you've been specifically selecting those traits. And again, that kind of, uh, again, that thing I just said about purple, like if you just were like decided you wanted to do two purple ones, for some reason, you got a, like a couple of purple ones in your F2 for whatever reason. And for some reason, you decided you wanted to breed those two together for whatever reason, even though you were looking for a green cultivar. And now in F3, you're like, oh boy, now like 75% of these are purple or more. What, what does that mean? Like, how am I going to get away from this? I didn't want to have purple in my, in my thing. Well, you're going to have to take a step back, go back to where you introduced that purple and, and maybe even go a step back further uh, and, and start from that seed pool, like never get rid of your seeds. So it, you can step back to the beginning generation and then start all over again. So you never got into this purple scenario. So that's why each each time, if you want it to be stable, you're going to have to choose specific traits that you want to see and be very, very picky about those traits, especially in the first first one to three generations until they start seeing those traits repeated. And when you start seeing them repeated a little bit more, you can kind of relax and then kind of fine tune that into maybe one or two more things that you want to see specific changes happen, whether it's you want the plant to be a little bit bigger. Okay, well, pick one that has everything in it. In, in, F, in F4, for example, you're like, oh, I want it to be just a little bit bigger now. Well, that's would be a genetic curveball that you're going to kind of throw it. But if you make sure that it's not too far off, like everything else is the same, but it's a giant, giant, giant male but it still has a purple stock or purple leaves. And you want a purple for, you want purple for this time. It has purple stock, purple leaves, purple flower, purple buds, but it's giant. Pull that one in as your genetic curveball because it won't be so weird in your, in your, in your next gene pool that hopefully you'll start seeing purple, everything still not green, but then there might be a few in there that are giant. So then find the giant female and the giant male in your next generation to pull that giant part into your growing cycle. Um, yeah, but, but the idea is to be very specific in those first, first generations to choose what you want, because if you're not, and you're just kind of doing willy nilly, like, Oh, this, this is good. Then you're just going to get that whenever you go later on, like your next generation again, is just going to be kind of random because you're just doing random stuff. But as long as you're very specific in choosing um, traits that you want to see represented throughout throughout the plant's uh, family tree, then you're going to be okay. 
that that's my two cents on that. Like as long as you as long as you continue to choose traits that that uh, are are what you chose at the beginning, it's going to keep keep dominantly representing that those. Traits. Could you consider an F three stable or no? That's too soon. F three is a little bit too soon. I think it's I think it's F four for me when you really start to see uh, the fruits of your labor, so to speak, come in from the next from the past choices that you've made. Um, and then again, but that's also a point where things could get screwed up, where you could throw out that genetic sort of curveball, and then you're kind of back into a spot where it's like that one was too different for whatever reason. I don't know why, because again, things could be a little bit different in F3 or F4. Um, you might have one that just for some reason is a little bit different, just different enough that it screws things up for you. Um, so then you might want to step back, which would bring you into back crossing if you want to pull in the original things you used because you're kind of far away. Um, you could do that as well, depending on how on how on on how far off you've you've done a genetic manipulation. Let's say um, you might want to go back. Gotcha. Okay. Let's talk about testing a little bit. So oftentimes breeders will send off their seeds to a group of people, you know, for testing prior to releasing the seeds to the public, right? How many people should be testing these genetics before releasing to the public? And do you have any kind of best practices? I know that, you know, different cultivars are going to grow differently in different latitudes. Like, are you doing anything like that to where you're making sure it's shipped out different areas? So people are growing in different areas to kind of see what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, for us, absolutely, I try to ship stuff to the East Coast and stuff to the West Coast, just to make sure, because they're entirely different growing environments, but I want to make sure that you get the same, in this in this, in this this scenario, you want to make sure that I'm getting the same kind of, I want the plant to be purple, for example, we're just going to keep going to this, I want the plant to be purple for whatever reason, um, but yeah, if I ship it to both sides, it better be purple. You know, it better grow right, but it better be purple regardless of what spot it's in because that shouldn't make a difference on the color of the plant, really. Um, again, there are some things that could come into play, whether it's um, weather or location or things like that, but that it then becomes not part of the gene pool and we're not talking about breeding at that point. Um, I want the purple to be genetic part of the plant, not brought on by the weather or something like that, right? Um so yes, I ship things across to both sides of the border. Unfortunately, I can't ship things to the states, or I haven't really had a good figured out a good way to do that yet that I feel safe about doing it. Then I could start going down that road, but otherwise, it's really easy for me to do it in here in Canada. Um, and then, like again, if you're talking about how many seeds to grow, this is kind of brings you to that stage uh, we were talking about it earlier on in the video where we're talking about how many seeds are you going to get from a plant. So if you only got 10 seeds, that's not a very good spot to start because you're not, you're not going to get a good enough example from those 10 seeds. So you're going to have to choose the best out of the 10 and then I would start all over, but that would never be, I wouldn't even call that an F1 at that point, even though it is, you just, you have too little of amount of seeds to actually determine what genes or things could be found in the gene pool anyways. Um, so let's say for this example, you have a thousand seeds. 
let's say you have a thousand seeds, you counted them. I've done it before. It's annoying. They probably make seed counter things, but I've counted it before. Um, if you grow, I don't know. Well, I guess if you grew a hundred of them, then you would have grown 10% of the seed lot, right? And that would give you a good, good chance to see like a very, like a good display of what's going on within your gene pool. Even though it's only 10%, it's a hundred seeds. It's going to give you a good idea of what's happening um, throughout the remainder of the seeds. I probably would go a little bit further to say if you did 150, 15%, depending on how, um, you know, how crazy you wanted to get with things, you could test maybe 200, do 20%. But I think the 10%, somewhere in the 100 to 200 range is going to give you a good idea of what what's going to happen with the rest of the seeds and what what is available in the gene pool anyways. Are you sending out to testers each generation? Are you doing F1s and then sending out testers, F2, sending out, or are you like finding what you no. want and then sending out at like F4, F5? Yes. Yeah. Like I'll do pretty much all the work, like let's say 90% of the testing, but the final amount of the testing is when I need to have that bulk amount of seeds grown that I can't do quite by myself, you know, whether it's, having a hundred done at once of one thing so that I can make sure that it's good to go. Um, it's not that I can't do it, but it, I have other things happening too at the same time that it's hard to do to, to just do, uh, as anyone would know, it's hard to just grow a hundred of one thing. So it's not that I w don't want to do it myself, but it, what it also allows is to see if other people's growing methods or other people's growing environments or things like that affect the traits that I've chosen and how they interact with each other and whether and how they interact with the the cultivar interacts with the grower the environment all those things um so no i don't send out previous generations but i send out the specific thing that i'm kind of the, the one that i think is the one when i fine-tuned it all the way that's the one that i send out to kind of have be mass tested at the time to make sure that it is the one and then i can go okay and then I'll do one more breeding of exactly those specific traits, filial in that same, with that cultivar that I've had everyone test. And then usually in that next one, which will probably be like an F6 or F5, depending on how I'm doing, on if I've been lucky or uh, I've, I've worked working with cultivars that are, are very generous to me in that, in that regard. Um, then yeah, it could be an F6, I'll, I'll make the F5 that everyone's tried. And then that'll be the one that, that, uh, gets put on the website and you could pick up and it's probably going to be 90% the same at that point. Got it. All right. Well, I think that was a pretty good recap of kind of how to get started with breeding and stabilizing and definitely covered a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. So appreciate you dropping the knowledge this time around. Tell us, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Um, well, in the future, right now I'm working on uh, breeding in an autoflower and a photo period together, which I know is something we didn't get a chance to touch on in this video, Chris, but sometime in the future, maybe we can chat about that. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now. I'm probably at the fourth generation and I'm just starting to see some autoflower traits come in, but I've also got some other cool things like trifoliate going on, which is kind of when you get an extra chromosome put in, but this is getting into like way extra breeding stuff. So maybe another time around. Um, but in that meantime, I'm just working on that. I'm fine tuning it before I even 
get to sending that i've got to make sure they're all auto flower which is kind of the cool part about that it's a whole different uh different ball game because you're changing the actual flowering the way the the way the plant responds to light um, which is cool so i'm working on that and uh other than that you can just find me again at the website you can email me at canadianleafgenetics at gmail.com you can find me on the instagram also canadian leaf genetics um i'll do my best to respond to you all i'm not very busy right now um as you know i'm up in in canada so it's winter time and i'm taking it easy pretty much so uh yeah if you guys are in canada get in touch and i'd love to send you some seeds if you're not i'm sorry i can't but maybe in the future sweet well i'll definitely have a link to your instagram down in the youtube description section below so you guys can easily access that if you enjoyed this video click that thumbs up button I'm trying to get as many thumbs up as possible if you are on one of the podcast platforms particularly apple Podcasts, please leave a rating or a review and uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already every single week i am releasing one of these garden talk podcast episodes and i'd love if you would tune into future episodes well, Graham, great episode once again. Appreciate your time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. Peace out, everyone.